young man who is in seminary aspiring to become a pastor, what is the one thing that you would really recommend for him when it comes to preaching? I go, oh man, if you would ask my congregation shorter messages, uh, because, you know, there's sometimes I have to, you know, call out people and just say, hey, Matt Preby, wake up. Uh, you're welcome. You don't have to sit up in front for me to do that. Uh, or, or there's uh, sometimes it's, man, could you, could you go maybe a little bit lighter, you know? But I, he said, so what advice do you have for young, aspiring preachers and pastors? I said, know the main idea of the text and stick with the main idea of the text. Expound the main idea of the text. Don't go crazy and try to bring all your passions and your ideas and your, your hobby horses into it. Stay with the text. Know the main idea of the text. This morning, we are going to be looking at John chapter 20. I could go a thousand different places with this. But I'm going to stick to one main idea. And this is the main idea. Unlikely and quirky people who don't get it encounter Easter and are changed forever. Quirky and unlikely people who don't get it encounter Easter and are changed forever. My wife, and this is, it used to be not a, I didn't receive it so well, but it's true, called me the gatherer of fruits and nuts. She's talking about you, just so you know. Fruits and nuts, oddballs, quirky people, people who don't quite fit, all trying to find a home and a place and meaning. And that is what John is going to show us this morning. That you have a place in the gospel. So would you stand for the reading of God's word? After I, we are going to read John 21 through 10. After we are done reading it, I will say this is the word Lord and you will respond with thanks be to God. All right. Hear the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' face, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. 
For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the, other, then the disciples went back to their homes. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Unlikely and quirky people who do not get it encounter Easter and are changed forever. In this passage that we have before us, we, we have three main characters. And I love, what I love about these three characters is that they are unlikely and they are quirky in what they do. They're not, there's nothing about them that is heroic. If you know anything about them, there's nothing heroic about them. There's no Superman on their chest. There's no amazingness about them. These are just people who are as real as can be. Everyday Tom, Dick, and Harry. They are normal folks like you and me. But the first one that you see is this woman. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Now, she is the first person to get to the tomb. This makes her the first witness of what happened on Easter morning, besides those Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb and who were knocked over as if they were dead. She was the first witness to see what had happened, and she is a very unlikely person for a couple reasons. First, first of all, she was a woman. And some of you are going, what are you saying, Broom? But she was a woman. In that day and age in Israel, a court of law would not accept the testimony of a woman. She was, she was an exception. She could not be a witness in the court of law. A woman's testimony was inadmissible, and it was absolutely worthless. And yet, in John chapter 20, it is a woman. It is a woman who is entrusted with the most crucial testimony the world will ever hear. A woman heard and saw and testified, He's risen! I don't believe it! But there's something else about this woman, Mary Magdalene, that makes her the most unlikely person. In Luke chapter 8, if you go back a few chapters, or Mark chapter 16, we learn a little bit more about this unlikely woman. In Luke chapter 8, she is identified as Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So not only was she a woman whose testimony was worthless and inadmissible, but she was also a woman who was at one point demon-possessed. We don't know much more about her, but this is enough to tell you that she had a past. This woman had, had stories to tell you left and right of what it meant to be possessed by a demon, what it meant to be not, her, her words not being valued whatsoever. She had a story. Philip Yancey comments on that there was a sharp contrast between how Jesus treated moral failures and how we, as followers, often treat moral failures. Yancey says, Jesus appointed the Samaritan woman as his first missionary. 
the world would have discredited her. Really? You have a past. You? You're broken. You? You come from a divorce situation. You have come from an absolute messy situation. You have struggled with drugs and alcohol. You are a mess. Your testimony is not worth it. And yet Jesus does what? He flips it over and says, you, your story, your testimony has worth. He even defended, Jesus even defended this woman who anointed him with an amazingly expensive perfume. He said this, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And Mary Magdalene, she of seven demons, he honored her. Jesus honored Mary as the first witness of the resurrection. A testimony at first discount, discounted by other of his more prestigious followers. He elevates the one who we might shame. So Mary, the unlikely one, she's the unlikely one, but we have two other quirky characters in this story. And the next one that we see as she runs from the tomb and goes, she, she's got to tell somebody. Something absolutely amazing has happened. I'm scared to death of what is going on. I've got to tell somebody. And she runs in, in verses 4 through 10. It, you kind of have this comical picture of two disciples who hear this report of this empty tomb and they run to go and investigate. The first one we know by name. His name is Peter. And if you read the gospel, the gospels, you know something about the character of Peter. This man is impetuous. He's a jerk. He speaks before he thinks. He's a typical man. And the women go, all the women in the house go, amen. But he, he, he immediately, he's, he's one who denies. He gets defensive, you know. Aren't you the one who was with Jesus? And Peter goes, I have no, you have, no, I was not with him. And he denied him three times. He's the first to open his mouth, even when he shouldn't. But in this passage, you have Peter hiking up his tunic, and he is rushing to the tomb. But as you find out in here, he's not a fast runner. Right? Did you pick that up? Because the other disciple who is, um, who, who wrote this book? John. He is, he's kind enough to, not to mention that it's him that outran Peter. Because he, he says in here, he, he's not this fast runner, but when he does catch up, did you notice what Peter does? Stereotypical. He went straight in. He, he went right into the tomb. Now, how many of you, raise your hand, would just say, Oh, yeah, I'd run into a tomb right away. Okay, some of you, maybe if it was Jesus, but anybody else? If it was any other person, would you just run into a tomb? Peter did. 
He's, he's the one. He's outspoken. He's the denier. He, but, and he does not hesitate whatsoever to go in and check it out. He's got to see it firsthand. I've got to see it. I've got to smell it. I've got to touch it. I've got to taste it. I've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that this is real. And then there's the other disciple who is hanging out by the door, right? He does not go in right away. He hesitates, probably like most of us would do when you come to an open grave. But here's the picture that you get. These are people who are completely unexpected, natural, and a tad bit quirky. The good news of, the God, of, the, of Easter is that Easter is for absolutely ordinary people in all of our ordinariness and in all of our absolute quirkiness. Easter is for you. It's, it's not for airbrushed and heroic kind of people. It's not for superhuman, super spiritual kind of people. It's for people like Mary Magdalene. It's people like John, who's a little bit more hesitant. It's for Peter, who rushes in. It's for people like you and me. Easter is, is about unlikely and quirky people. Even, even 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, but God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chooses crazy people like you and me, like Mary and Peter and John, for the world to go, hmm, I didn't expect that. But that's not all. It, they're, they're not just unlikely and they're not just quirky. Easter is also for those who just don't get it. And this is great news for those of us who don't always get it. Although his, all through Jesus' ministry, Jesus repetitively, if you would go back and read all the times that Jesus said or hinted at the fact that he is going to die and that he is going to be raised again afterwards, the number is, is quite high. So all throughout his ministry, he is telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Hey, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Hey, just so you know, just so you know, this is what's going to happen. He predicted that he would be raised again from the dead. John chapter 2, at the very beginning, Jesus answered the, the, uh, the religious people and said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rise it up. Raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he had said. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. If the disciples had understood, they would have been there waiting, right? If they would have got it, if they really understood everything, they would have been at that grave waiting like a campfire. Hey guys, it's going to happen anytime now. Are you ready? But they weren't. 
And I, I think if you, if you look at it, I think John is making a point, even in how he introduces the chapter. Now, it was the first day of the week. It's almost like, and everything is back to normal. It wasn't, John didn't start off this chapter by saying, and now the third day. That would assume that they were keeping track, that they were kind of doing a, a countdown of some sort in, in anticipation for the erection, the, the, the resurrection. They would, they would have been, you know, maybe even having a band out there. It's all going to happen right now. But no, none of that happened. It was, it was the first day of the week. They, they show up not expecting anything but a dead body. They simply did not get it. And you can see this by all the confusion that took place. They seem to think that maybe it was a grave robber. And this wouldn't have been completely surprising to them. Grave robbery was, was so common that the Emperor Claudius ordered capital punishment for those convicted of destroying tombs, removing bodies, or even displacing the sealing stones. And if you want proof that they didn't get it, then you just have to look at verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And friends, this, this, is, this is comforting. This is good news for people like me. I don't know if you've ever sat through a movie and you're watching it with all of its cinematography, but then all of a sudden you go, Wait a second. What just happened here? And all of a sudden you become the annoying friend and you start talking. Hey, what, what just happened right here? Any of you ever sat by those people in a movie where you go, just shut up. Quit talking. I'm watching it. This is amazing. But I'm usually the guy going, what is going on? Right? It's the, so, so who is that? What did he just say? And that's kind of what is happening here. It's this, you're going, what? It turns out Easter is for people like that who, who go, oh, I didn't get it. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said this to a couple people who should have understood Easter, but just didn't get it. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all of what the promise or the prophets have spoken. Oh, you, you guys are just foolish. You're, you're slow to pick it up. Easter is, not just, Easter is not for the spiritually advanced. The Gospel of John is telling us that it is for people like you and me who don't always get it. Remember that if I only want you to remember, I want you to remember just one thing this morning. I want you to remember that Easter is for unlikely, quirky people who do not always get it, who do not always understand it. When you encounter Easter, you go, huh, what's going on here? So we've, we've covered this. That it's for those people. But this is the next part. When we encounter it, when we believe it, we are changed forever. 
one biblical scholar notes that there is a pattern that takes place in all the resurrection narratives, all the resurrection stories. First thing he, he points out is that the beneficiaries of, of the appearance are engulfed with human emotion. You get Mary who has grief. You get the disciples who have fear. You get Thomas who has doubt and says, all right, I'll believe it, but only if, right? It's all conditional. It's emotions. But then he says, here's the second thing. The risen Christ appears to them in the midst of their condition. Jesus does not wait until Mary gets over her grief. He doesn't wait until the disciples get over their fear. He doesn't wait until Thomas gets over his doubt. Jesus meets them right there where they're at, in the middle of their grief, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their doubt. And he says, I'm here. I'm risen. Which leads to the third thing. As a result, their condition is transformed. We, we, we don't have enough time to look at the whole chapter of, of this of chapter 20 this morning, but that's exactly what happens. These witnesses encounter an empty tomb. They are absolutely befuddled. They, they don't believe what is happening. They don't know how to account for what they discover. In particular, they account something that they cannot explain. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then came Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. The face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. It's easy to explain this away as saying grave robbers were there. And if that's what would have happened, then friends, let's go home and have some ham. Because there's nothing to celebrate if he was just, the body was taken away, stolen. If this is just a myth, let's just go home and have some ham and find some Easter eggs filled with some trinkets or maybe a couple bucks here and there. But Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John did not discover just an empty tomb. They discovered the very linen cloths that were used to wrap Jesus' body as they buried him. In John 11, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus, oh, this is an amazing story. John 11, if you, if you need another resurrection story, this is a great story. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in, in John chapter 11, we read, the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen cloth, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So this guy came out just like uh, uh, the mummy movies. You know, he was all wrapped up and he was taking baby steps trying to get out because they had bound him up pretty tight with all of these claws. And it's amazing that Lazarus even made it out of the tomb because his head was totally wrapped up in linen cloths as well. But he came out and Jesus says, unwrap the dude. He's alive. But that's not what happened with Jesus. Nobody had to unbind his burial clothes. And it appeared that he had just been able to pass through 
these claws with his resurrection body, just like he, had, he was able to later on when he appeared in the upper room in verse 19. He just passed through the door. Not only that, I love this little detail that John throws in there about the face cloth. Did you notice that? It's folded. It's almost as if Jesus said, oh, I won't need this anymore. Set this right here. No grave robber is going to say, maybe we should fold the face cloth. But Jesus has a way of saying, I don't need this anymore. So you can account for an empty tomb, but it's very hard to account for grave clothes that have been left behind as if, man, we don't need these anymore. It's, it's even harder to account for Jesus appearing to the other disciples for the rest of the chapter. But here, even here in verse 8, you begin to sense the beginning of the change that is beginning to take place. You, you see here, and then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, he also went in and he saw and he believed. When they encountered, what they encountered on Easter morning changed them and changed them forever. There, there are three facts about the resurrection that even critical scholars accept. That the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on, on the Sunday following the resurrection. That Jesus' disciples had real experiences with one whom they believed to be the risen Christ. And three, as a result of the preaching of these disciples, which had the resurrection at its very center, at the core, the Christian church was established and the Christian church grew. In other words, even critical scholars accept that the disciples encountered something at that Easter morning that changed them forever. Not only did it change them personally, and they didn't have just this encounter, oh, me and Jesus, oh, get it. He's, he's alive. It transformed them, and it propelled them outward. These, these three things, the, the empty tomb, the encounters with the risen Lord, and this new boldness of the disciples form kind of this threefold strand of evidence. Matt Perman, in his book, said this, virtually all scholars who deal with the resurrection Whatever their school of thought, assent to these three truths. We will see that the resurrection is the best explanation for each of them individually. But when we will, but then we will see even more significant, significantly that when these facts are taken together, we have an even more powerful case for the resurrection. Because the skeptic will not have to explain away just one historical fact, but three. We have three truths. And they create a strongly woven three-cord rope that cannot be broken. It's hard to describe how profoundly Easter changed, changed these people. But it changed everything about them. 
The rest of the New Testament is evidence of the, the effects of what happened on that Easter morning. Some, sometimes something happens that is so profound that it changes everything. And Easter is the very event that changes absolutely everything. The big, big Bang Theory of science says that something happened some 13.7 billion years ago that has continuing profound effects today. Whatever you believe about the Big Bang, I don't care. But they say that that Big Bang is still affecting us today. This is the Big Bang for Christianity. This, my friends, is a thing that continues to ripple out with huge tidal waves of gospel change in our hearts and our lives. The continuing effects of the Easter will still be found today in you and me, unlikely quirky people. Ralph Stockton said, something happened on Easter Day, which, which made Christ more alive on the streets of Jerusalem 40 days after his crucifixion than on the day of his triumphal entry. A false report might last 40 days. But the church, which has founded on the risen Christ, has lasted for 19 centuries, producing a generation of the race's finest characters, and now including 600 million members. So let's put this together. Unlikely and quirky people who don't get it encounter Easter and are changed forever. That's the one thing I want you to take away. When we see that here in this passage, but we're also seeing it continuing on in our lives. So three things. First, if you're an unlikely or quirky person, and all of you right now are going, that's not me. Look to the person to the right, and they're going to go, yeah, you are. <laughs> you're who he's talking about. You're, that, you're the oddball in the room. You may be here this morning for a reason. You may be here this morning to hear that this story is for you. Jesus seems to draw, be drawn to those who aren't what you would expect. After all, he was the friend of sinners. He hung around with oddballs who were known for their shenanigans, their unbelief, their doubt. The good news of Easter is that Easter is for people like us. You don't have to be heroic. You don't have to be super spiritual. God chooses the most unlikely people and the people you would never expect. But second, if you don't get it, then you're welcome as well. I, I love that there, is, there was no one waiting at the tomb expecting Jesus to burst out of that tomb. Even the women who were the last ones to hang out at the cross and the first ones at the tomb on, on Sunday morning, they weren't expecting Jesus to be risen. 
you need to remember that Easter is not for those who are naturally at the top of the, their spiritual class. It's not for, Easter is not just for scholars. Easter is not just for pastors. Easter is not just for Bible study folks. Easter is for everybody. There's nobody who is actually at the top of the class. Easter is for all of us. Easter is for those of us who do not get it, who are spiritual failures. We are spiritual flops. Easter is for people like you and me. And Easter, finally, Easter can change you. It's been changing people throughout the centuries. I have a pastor friend who, who has told the story of his friend named Philip. Philip was born with Down syndrome. And poor Philip was not accepted uh, by the other children in the Sunday school class. He was always a little awkward. He was a little bit more rough and tumble. and He would always be bursting out. He'd always be talking. He'd always be hugging and touching. But he went to Sunday school with his third grade class. And on Easter morning, his, his teacher had an idea for Easter to kind of get the point across. And as a teacher, you know, sometimes your best ideas, all of a sudden you go, ooh, that didn't work the way I thought it was going to. You know those uh, pantyhose eggs, ladies, what I'm talking about? The legs eggs, the, the, big, the big eggs where you hope if you, your, your mom or your grandma hides eggs, you go, man, I hope there's a lot of chocolate candy in there or a $10 bill. It was one of the big ones. Well, the teacher collected 10 of those eggs. That's a lot of pantyhose to buy. And the children loved it when, when he brought, uh, the teacher brought them into the class. Each child got one. It was a beautiful spring day, much like today. And the assignment was for each child to go outside, which in my head I'm going, that's stupid. That's a bad idea. Third grade kids sending them outside on a wild goose chase. But with a sp specific goal in mind as the, ch the children went outside, they were to find a symbol for new life, put it in the egg, and then bring it back to the classroom. They would then open up the egg, and they would share the new life symbols and the surprises that each one had in there. And the kids ran all around the church grounds. Uh, I can imagine Marilyn getting a little upset next door, going, oh, there's a lot of kids in my neighborhood, in my yard right here. But the kids would be running around finding new life. Oh, here's something. We could put it in here. And... Um, as they came in, all the children stood around the table with all ten eggs in the center. One opened it, a flower. Good thinking. Yeah, that's a picture of life, right? Another, uh, and I'm guessing it was a boy. And the next one's probably a boy, too. <laughs> one caught a butterfly. Oh. And brought it in. The thing probably looked ragged by the time, you know, they opened it up and it was going, I'm dead. But they, then, then another one, a, a joker, brought in, they opened it and it was a rock. It's like, all right, we're going to work on some basic uh, biology. It's dead. It's not really of life. 
So they, they each, eventually, they opened one egg, one of the eggs, and after, and finally, it came to the last one. And the teacher knew it was somebody special. The teacher opened it, and it was empty. And you can imagine the look on all the kids' faces at that moment. One of the kids says, that's not fair. That's stupid. Somebody didn't do it right. But the teacher felt a tug on the shirt and looked down. And Philip was standing there. And Philip said, it's mine. I did that one. And the children said, you never do things right, Philip. There's nothing in there. I did do it right, said Philip. I did do it. It's empty. The tomb is empty. There was silence, and a very full silence in the room. Philip got something that the rest of the kids didn't get. And when Philip died... The kids remembered this empty egg and the empty tomb. And at the funeral, nine eight-year-old children marched up to the altar, not with flowers to, to cover the stark reality of death. Nine eight-year-old children with their Sunday school teacher marched right up to the altar and laid on it an empty egg. An empty old discarded pantyhose egg. Quirky, unlikely people who don't get it. When they encounter Easter are changed forever. People like Philip and people just like you and people just like me. Easter is for us. Let's pray.